Hi, friends. Welcome to Moments to Ponder. This is a podcast designed to help you spend a few moments in God's Word wherever you are and take away something to ponder. We live in a loud, busy world that can make it hard to find time to get into the Word, and I'm grateful for these few moments that we have together to ponder the book of Philippians. I'm Betsy Marvin, and this is episode 95. It's the first full week of December as this episode goes live, the season of asking Santa for what you want, for making a list and checking it twice, of all I want for Christmas is you. I feel like it's the season where you're totally allowed to ask for the fun, frivolous item you want, as well as that other thing you actually need, and both are totally okay. With that in mind, how would you answer this question? What do you want? You hear it differently, don't you? Recently, a friend bluntly asked me that question. What do you want? And she wasn't talking about Christmas presents. She meant, at this point in my life, what do I want? I didn't have an answer. Without going into it too far, my brain is wired to think outwardly. I don't focus inward easily, meaning in most situations, I'm processing what's happening around me and with you, but not within myself. My friend knows this, which is why she pushes me and asks me hard questions. I've been continuing to process the answer to her question. And as I did, the verses from this week spoke to me, and I hope they do to you as well. We begin in chapter four of Philippians with verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Paul again thanks his friends for their help and concern as he begins the conclusion of his letter. He's praising God for the church in Philippi. They had sent Epaphroditus over 745 miles to Rome to bring their gifts And Paul is so grateful that they have been ever faithful in their support. Then he goes on in verse 11 to say this, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. That's verses 11 through 14. Not that I was ever in need. What a statement from Paul. He is waiting in prison because of a corrupt emperor. He's facing possible death, and yet he uses the word content. He seems to contradict himself because we know Paul has needs. He expresses his thanks, yet at the same time, he doesn't seem to want to give the impression that Jesus isn't enough for his every need. He has something more to teach the church. Earlier in this chapter, Paul said to them, don't worry about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, give your request to God. And the peace of God that passes human understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
So when we look at the whole chapter and put this all together, Paul is saying that he has peace beyond understanding, calling it contentment, because he learned the secret of living in every situation. It's strength in Jesus. Paul truly lived into this foundation that Jesus is enough. The word for content in the Greek is autarkes, which means sufficient to oneself, to be independent of circumstances and people. So Paul is using this word very purposefully here. In his day, the Stoics were a religious sect that taught self-sufficiency was all you needed. You don't need other people. All that matters is yourself. And Paul is saying here, I have learned that all I need is Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul writes of learning this when Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Jeremiah Burroughs, he was a Puritan author. He wrote this almost 400 years ago. He said, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. It is the work of the Spirit indoors. You may want to rewind and hear that again. Another writer put it this way, Contentment is the product of a heart resting in God. It is the blessed assurance that God does all things well and is even now making all things work together for my ultimate good. That all sounds so good, doesn't it? But we live in a culture that actually thrives on discontentment. The fear of missing out, you only live once, get it while you can. It pushes marketing and experiences in such a way that we often equate happiness with contentment. I mean, especially right now in the Christmas season with all the ads, they're saying things like, you need this and you have to have that. And well, it's on sale. And then when we feel happy, we think, hmm, I'm content. Whether it's a possession, a relationship, or a position, we want it. But then we find ourselves thinking, but if I can just make more money, if I can just find the right person, if I can just lose this much weight, if I can just, well, you fill in the blank. We think, then I'll be happy. I'll be content. So in light of all of that, on a scale of one to 10, how content would you say you are in life? Let's look at verses 12 and 13 again. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I love that Paul says he learned this attitude. He learned it, this inner work of the spirit. The word strength in verse 13 that Paul uses is the Greek word endamaho, which means to receive strength. 
meaning to receive strength from Jesus. We receive dunamis, the inherent power to be content. We receive this as we depend on his strength that continually enables us to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. So to put the meanings of the words in it together, it would read, the secret is knowing I can do all things, whatever works have been prepared for me, through or in connection with the personal intimate union with Jesus, who strengthens me continually all the time. Paul has learned contentment because he has learned that Christ is sufficient. So he brings everything to him with thanksgiving. When I had my hip replaced a few years ago, I was given a walker and a cane to use as I healed. Why? Because I couldn't lean on myself. As my hip adjusted to what was inside me, I went from walker to the cane until my strength grew through what had been placed inside of me to the point where I could walk on my own. And now I walk freely, trusting fully that what is in me is strong and capable. But I had to learn. Do you trust that God's spirit in you is strong and capable? Contentment is a result of trust. It means you've let God be in charge instead of thinking it would be better if you ruled the world. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Paul has learned. This supernatural trust, this contentment, it's based on Christ's sufficiency, not on self-sufficiency, as many of the Greeks thought. He had learned to see life from a God viewpoint. He focused on what he needed to do not what he had or didn't have. Verse 13 here is often quoted when someone is facing something hard. We say, you can do anything in Christ. But in this context, we can see that Paul isn't saying that you can literally do anything physically through Christ, although sometimes we can. But running a marathon without training or thinking you're going to ace a test without studying, let's be real. He's actually saying that you can face anything because of Christ's strength in you. His power is sufficient to do his will and all the things that you will face from doing that will. We aren't superhuman, but we are spirit-filled. Now, with all of that in mind, how content would you say you are in life? The answer lies in your priorities, your perspective, and who is the source of your strength. We've come to the conclusion of Paul's letter. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I didn't say this because I want a gift from you, but rather I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. So again, more gratitude for these dear people. The Philippians have learned the joy of giving. It's not about what we want, but what we can give and share who we love. Then Paul goes on, verse 18. 
At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. Paul said, The God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches in Christ. These words sound a lot like the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. What do you want? What do you need? There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between wants and needs. Many of us want to feel good. We want to avoid pain and discomfort. And we know we may not get that. Paul echoes Jesus' words here saying, As you seek him, he will supply your needs. So what do you need right now that you would like God to supply? That's the tension, isn't it? We want to live content, but for some reason we've come to believe that contentment means we don't have any needs. That's just not true. Here's what I've learned. When my husband was laid off a few years ago, we found ourselves in a new situation. Without his income, we had to make some hard decisions about finances, opportunities, and even lifestyle. I was in grad school, our kids were in Christian schools, and although I did work full-time, money was tight. I can honestly say (laughs) I was not content. We were trying to fix it and adjust and push through. I learned how it felt to stand in the food line, to ask for financial help from friends and family, to shop for school clothes at the thrift store because we had to, not because it was cool. It was humbling and hard. I asked God a lot of questions. Then one morning, I came across the verses in Matthew 6. If God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. These were my exact questions. What will we eat? What will we wear? And the words of Jesus hit me like a brick. God knew our needs, but we weren't seeking him as we should. We weren't leaning into him and trusting him. We were doing the whole self-sufficiency thing. 
And a bit like the Grinch, my heart changed that day. I had to learn, but God showed us over and over again how much He does care. And through those months, He provided in ways we would have never imagined. Our kids did change schools. I was offered a side gig, and Bill discovered a new vocation. Yet the lessons I learned during that season will forever be with me. We began to learn that contentment is inner work, trusting that God is who He says He is. It's leaning into His promises while also bringing our needs before Him. I found that it meant that I bring my request, keeping my heart in thanksgiving for Him, and then surrendering myself to however He chooses to answer, knowing that He is enough and that He will work for my ultimate good. That is not easy. But going back to Jeremiah Burroughs, he also wrote this. He said, Our contentment does not consist in getting the thing we desire, but in God's fashioning our spirits to our condition. True contentment is achieved by subtraction and not by addition, by surrender and not struggle. Mm, There's a lot there, isn't there? As we come to the end of this beautiful letter, we return to the main theme, joy. Joy is unveiled as we lean into those we share this life journey with. Joy is unveiled as we discover more and more about what it means to live as citizens of heaven. Joy is a life lived for Christ. It's a byproduct of maturity in Christ. Joy is unveiled within you as you learn what it means to be content, knowing and believing that Christ is enough. Is living with thanksgiving while leaning into his strength within you, bringing everything to him and trusting him to supply those needs, relying on him in every circumstance, allowing the work of the Spirit within you. It's the blessed assurance that God does all things well and is even now making all things work together for my ultimate good. Dear one, May your heart seek what you need. May you rest in who He is. And as we close this time together in Philippians, here is the final verse. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I want to thank you for joining me on this journey through Philippians and the unveiling of joy in Jesus. I look forward to our next season together, which will begin in January 2024. In the meantime, I invite you to revisit episodes 21 through 27, which focus on the Christmas season. I hope they bless your heart. May your Christmas be full of joy and blessings.